Hey guys, welcome back to the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Happy Memorial Day, happy Memorial Day weekend. And in case you're wondering, yes, this is the same show uh, or the same shirt I wore for the show on Tuesday and the same hat because it's the same day. We are recording uh, ahead of Memorial Day simply because we're going to give the staff a weekend off and relax and they don't have to hear me you know, pontificate for endless amounts of time. Uh, so we're going to we're this is going to be a show of a of, uh, couple stories, personal stories. And we're going to start off with uh, first off. Hello, Bill. Uh, again, <laughs> seems we're like days since you and I have talked or exactly. Uh, exactly. Actually, it's, it's been minutes. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to your trade story because okay. you've been teasing this. So I'm going to actually run down. So I was traded five times. Contrary to popular belief, it wasn't because I was a douche in the clubhouse. I think it was because. Four of those were because I, well, I don't know, maybe, let me, let me, let me, I'll let you evaluate. Uh, first time, I, 1988, I'm in double A uh, at New Britain, Connecticut, in front of a double header sellout crowd in New Britain of like 11. And uh, I'm getting ready to pitch a second game of double header. And that morning, if you remember 1988, the, the uh, Baltimore started out 0 21, worst start in history. And the Boston Red Sox were in contention. Boston was looking for a starting pitcher at the deadline. No, it wasn't me. Uh, I was in double A. They reached out and the Orioles and Red Sox made a deal. The irony of this is that morning in the clubhouse uh, before the doubleheader, we were talking. Mike Carista, Dan Gabriel, myself, Eric Hetzel, and a couple other guys were talking about the deal. It was in the news. And we were like, God, you know, uh, Mike, Dan was the number one pick. Mike was a big prospect and probably the best of the, of the talent in that group at the time. We were talking, you know, we thought one of us would go. The big thing was we knew Brady Anderson was kind of the centerpiece of the deal. And we had mentioned everybody in the room uh, but me. Uh, we had said, yeah, maybe Dan, maybe Mike, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm pitching the second game of doubleheader. I'm walking out of the clubhouse almost at the end of the first game to go out and start getting loose for the for my start of the second game. And I pass by the television and I see the ticker on the bottom of the, of the television, ESPN ticker saying the Baltimore Orioles have traded Mike Bodiger to the Boston Red Sox for Brady Anderson and minor league pitcher Kurt Schilling. And then like did a double take. That's how I found out. Literally this my Pete Youngman, our clubhouse guy slash trainer slash chef, was folding clothes next to me. He goes, dude, that's you. And I was like, yeah, that is me. Holy crap. That's how I found out about that. Got on the plane the next day and flew to Florida to meet the club and, and got my call up a, a month later in Baltimore. Fast forward two years later in the, uh, the winter of 1990, we had just had a good ton of young talent on this Orioles team. Ton of young talent. Brady Anderson, Mike Devereaux, Steve Finley, Pete Harnish, Bob Malacky, Ben McDonald, Chris Hoyles, lots, Randy Milligan, a uh, ton of young talent. Uh, and I think a, to a very much an up-and-coming team. Uh, looking, The team was looking for a slugger. And Houston extended the offer of Glenn Davis. And what I still believe is the worst trade in baseball history, uh, modern times. Baltimore traded uh, Pete Harnish, who had a decade-long plus very, very good Major League career. Steve Finley, who horribly underrated 15, 18-year career in the big league stud. Uh, and me for Glenn Davis. And Glenn Davis, I think, hit a total of 13 home runs for the Orioles and then got his jaw broken in a bar fight and never played again. And stories came out about him afterwards. But that I found out about that one this way. Just met my now wife a month or so earlier. And we were uh, at the breakfast table. It was 11 o'clock in the morning and I was eating breakfast and my phone rang and I answered it. And this is the phone call. Uh, and you have to know Roland Heeman had, he was a Boston guy and he was like, uh, Kit, uh, this is Roland Heeman. 
And I was like, and the GM calls me. I'm like 20 years old. I'm like, hey, Roland, what's up? He's like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we've made a trade with the Houston Astros. And I was like, in my mind, this is how naive I was. I'm thinking, wow, that's really cool. The GM of the team is calling me to tell me that they made it. Like, I'm important enough that they'd inform me of a trade. That's kind of nice. That's cool. And, and I'm like, oh, wow, Roland, that's, you know, yeah, we got Glenn Davis from Houston. And I was like, wow, we're going to be really good this year. And I was like, well, Roland, you know, geez, thanks for calling. He's like, uh, uh, hold on a second, Kit. And I was like, yeah, what? He's like, uh, you were part of the deal. And I'm sitting on the phone like this. And I can see Shonda sitting next to me. She's already crying. Like she knew what the call was long before I did. And I'm like, oh, huh. That's why you're calling. Uh, okay. And like, I hung the phone up and my wife was from Baltimore. So this was a dream for me. I was in Baltimore. My wife's from Baltimore. Family's from Baltimore. She grew up in Baltimore. I'm playing for the Orioles, all the things that go with it. Well, now I'm a Houston Astro and her and I were only a month or two into our, our relationship. None of it computed because the Astros called me immediately after that. And Bob Watson was telling, oh, you know, we're really excited to get you and all the things that go with that. And they asked me, I don't, I, to this day, I don't, know that anybody's ever i don't know how this happens but bob Watson asked me what i wanted to do and i was like what do you mean he goes well you know you you can be a starter or you can be our closer and i was like well all the money's in closing that's where the fame is i want to be a closer and they're like you know okay whatever not thinking anyway but then i'm like hung up and i was like oh wow i, I gotta move i just put a a down payment on a home and all the things to go, which was probably wasn't the smartest thing given my age and where I was at, but I felt like I had made the club and, and all that. So now I'm a Houston Astro. Uh, long story short, Shonda ends up uh, going with me and 30 some years later, we're still together. Trade number three from Houston, end of spring training. So I come out in 1991 and pitched. The Astros were young and incredibly talented team again. Daryl Kyle, Pete Harnish, uh, Mike Sims, uh, Ken Caminiti, uh, Steve Finley, uh, I mean, just a, Eric Yelding, incredibly talented uh, young team, lots of lots of, uh, of future talent. I started out closing during the and struggled in the job, and then ended up being a reliever uh, and had a middling season. Not a good one, not a bad one, but could have been a lot better. Uh, last day of spring training in 1992. Yeah, last day of spring training. We are in St. Petersburg playing the Cardinals. And I'm due to pitch the ninth inning. That's my day. I'm in the clubhouse, and I'll never forget this. Bob Cluck, our pitching coach, comes in and says, hey, uh, you're not throwing today. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm not throwing today? He goes, don't ask me. I, I can't tell you, but you're not throwing today. I'm like, hold on. Well, what does that mean? I can't throw. Well, you can't tell anybody. And I'm like, tell anybody what? He goes, I think we traded you. And I go, you think? You traded me? Like, where? He goes, uh, Philadelphia. And I was like, so I immediately, I'll never forget, I grabbed the sporting news and I'm looking up the Phillies in the spring training edition of sporting news, like what their roster is. I'm like, oh, Lenny Dykstra, Dale Murphy, holy crap. No one had announced it yet. And I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. So I immediately called my, my, my girlfriend, what slash soon to be wife and said, hey, we're getting traded. She's like, what? And it ended up being back to Philly. So we ended up going back to literally, we lived literally 30 minutes from her home when, when I moved to Philly. But that's how I found out I was going in here's the thing. It was the last day of spring training. So you have to understand in spring training, the families drive home at the end of camp for the most part, and meet the players. My wife is on the road headed back in the wives caravan to Houston to set up the house and all that. And we're going 
I can't remember where we opened the season at, but she hears it on the radio and their wives are driving and all the cars on the freeway pull over and they all heard it at the same time. And she's bawling, they're crying, blah, blah, blah. So I reached her and like, oh my God, we're going to Philly. And her parents were excited. I was excited. And that turned out to be probably uh, two things. One, when I left Baltimore, one of the things I'll never forget is Frank Robinson calling me and telling me that he did not want to trade me. And I remember how much that meant to me, given the respect I had for Mr. Robinson and, and his career and him as a man. Uh, that was a big deal. And I thought that was pretty awesome. And um, in Houston, I remember Bob Watson years later saying, I can't believe we were stupid enough not to try you as a starter. And I always wondered why that never happened, but it didn't happen because it wasn't supposed to. So I went to Philly. I was there 10 years. You know what? I'll tell the other two trade stories at another time, but the Philadelphia to Arizona one's kind of fascinating, as is the Arizona to Boston one. But those are trade stories. And, and that's one of the things you don't see be, uh, behind the scenes is the amount of moving pieces involved in a player being traded, especially one that's married. I've been traded as a single guy. I've been traded as an engaged guy. I've been traded as a married guy. I've been traded as a father with kids. Uh, all of them, very. the dynamics are incredibly different. In the theme of, of top fives, uh, Bill, you asked me to, to talk about what I thought were the five best starts of my career. And I thought about it, uh, and I, I confined it to professional because and big league starts because there was some stuff in the minor leagues that were memorable to me. And I don't know. I think the top four are interchangeable as far as the best starts. I know on top, one of the, one of the first one or two to me – it was a game in which I got a no decision and the game in which I was probably, I was going to be the losing pitcher was game seven of the 2001 World Series. It was my third start against the Yankees in, in uh, nine days. And uh, I had shut them down the first two starts and I went through the first six innings of this start. Perfect. I'd only faced 18 hitters. And I thought to my, and the, I screwed up walking off the mound for the sixth inning thinking, wow, I'm only faced 18. Instead of every other normal thought I had at the time, I thought, well, I'm going to face 27 hitters in Game 7 of the World Series and win one nothing, and then I blew it in the seventh. But holding that offense down for the seven innings of that game allowed us to stay in it. And Gonzo and RJ coming in relief, Gonzo getting the game when he hit allowed us to win it. That was probably – that was the biggest. I don't think it might not have been the best, but that was the biggest start of my life by, by far. Um, and the next two – are uh, uh, tied for two, not two, but in the top five, were two game sets. In 2001, in the division series, we played St. Louis. I pitched game one against Matt Morris, and we were 1-2 in the National League and wins that year. Game one, I threw a complete game and beat him one nothing. We beat him one nothing, And I remember I was as fired up as I'd ever been after a game because I thought that St. Louis was such a good team. But we beat him one nothing, And then I came back in game five to start and had it – I was beating them again one to nothing till JD Drew hit a home run off me, I think in the eighth inning, uh, to tie it one one. And I pitched the ninth. We won it on Womack's walk off in the bottom of the ninth. I beat them one to nothing and two to one. I had a, a, a in in the division series, and that was as good as I've ever pitched in back to back starts. But in nineteen ninety eight, during the regular season, I had a back to back one nothing, two to one series again against Greg Maddox in both games. And it was reverse. I beat him two to one in game one. Uh, after Chipper hit a home run uh, in the first inning off of me, I punched out 15, I think, and beat him two to one and then came back. And, and it's funny because both won nothing games in those two game sets were one in the bottom of the ninth on walk offs. Womack wins game uh, five of the DS and clinches the DS. And then in, in 98, Mike Lieberthal hits a ground ball single to beat Maddox one nothing in the bottom of the ninth. So those two to one, one to nothing back to back games against the same starters are right up there with 
with mine. And then uh, for anybody that that w- was early in my career a fan, probably the best game I ever pitched and probably as clutch a game as I, against the best lineup I ever faced was game five of the 1993 World Series against the Blue Jays. I threw 154 pitches in a complete game, beat them two to nothing. Uh, a night after we had lost a 15-14 game, had lost three five-run leads and basically lost the World Series. So that one's in there. And then one more was, and I think I talked about this before, Bill, in in uh, uh, May, I think May 2nd of 2002, uh, I was literally paralyzed. My neck was locked up. I couldn't pitch. And I, it was a getaway day Sunday in Milwaukee. Uh, I had spent all day on the treatment table from like 6 a.m. I couldn't move. I got to the bullpen. I couldn't move. My neck was locked up. And I remember Chuck Niffin, our bullpen coach, looking at me after I threw my first warm-up pitch. And he's like, are you serious? You can't go out there like that. Uh, it loosened up and I ended up striking out a career high 17 uh, in a one hitter. I gave up. It was a clean single in like the fourth inning to uh, to the catcher uh, ground ball to the right side. And that was the only hit I gave up. And I punched out 17 and that was a career. high. And that was that was one of those games where I, was, I, I came off the field feeling pretty good about myself just because of the things I had to overcome to get out there. And this was a, you know, many would say a meaningless game in May. But as a starting pitcher, I don't believe there were ever meaningless games. Um especially when you consider what you're getting paid. Uh, I was going to do this, but I'm going to hold this one off, Bill, till the next show, because I want to actually talk about this in depth. I got to ask a question or two here. All right. So when you did the back-to-back in game one and game five, and then against Maddox, the 1-0-2-1, does anything change from game one to game two, or do you go in with the exact same mindset? Uh, Well, I don't know about mindset, but you start to learn early in your career uh, it was why I lost game one of the World Series in 93. You you think you have to do things differently. Uh, why would I change any? I just threw a, a, a one nothing shutout. Why would I do something different against you four days later? But you think, you trick yourself. Young pitchers do it all the time. You trick yourself into thinking, I've got to do something different. No. Hitters are creatures of habit just like everybody else. It, there's pitches they can't hit on Monday. They're not suddenly going to be able to hit them on Friday or Saturday. You make adjustments, obviously, but you have uh, a, a well of, of knowledge going into the second start of what works. And if you can execute and command your fastball inside the strike zone, excuse me, and move it around in four and six inch increments, it doesn't matter. It works. Whatever works, works. And, um, you know, obviously, again, the same, I think the St. Louis, back-to-back St. Louis games, that, that that three game stretch for me it was, was those two game one game five and then when I threw game two I think against the Braves in the NLCS that was the three best starts in a row I ever pitched um, I think stuff wise I had all my stuff I executed uh, you know and I I threw three straight complete games uh, in the postseason which counting ninety three it was four straight complete games in the postseason with the one hundred and fifty four pitch shutout being my last start in nineteen ninety three. Um, and complete games were a big deal to me. Uh, and that was a big deal. That was as good as I've ever pitched, but no, you, you, as you get older, when you're young, yes, as you get older, you realize back-to-back games against the same team is an advantage if I have the stuff. And when you say the stuff, what was the stuff for Kurt Schilling? The, the stuff always started with fastball command on, on, on really good days. I could, uh, Up, down in out. Uh, oh, uh, way, way more minute detailed. Like I could move, I could throw the ball on the corner uh, on the white. I could throw the ball, the next pitch on the black, and then I could throw a ball off the black on consecutive pitches. Those were, that was stuff. And then I could turn around instead of going 
a ball off the corner away. Uh, I could go off of that pitch and throw a ball off the corner in. And the key was when you're going in, you know, you're pitching away, 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 and then you want to go in on a guy like a Glavin used to do, change up boy, change up boy, change, and lock a guy up in. You don't get multiple pitches to make the pitch in. You got to make it right away, right? And so you're because you're freezing a guy, you're locking him up, you're surprising him. So it doesn't do any good if you do it with a ball. So, but on my stuff days, I could throw it where I wanted it within probably one to two inches um, uh, on both sides, and then so that broke the strike zone down into. Down and away, down and in, middle in, middle out, uh, up and away, up and out, and then middle up. Um, and so my fastball was essentially seven pitches. Um, so I could get through a game like that with 115 pitches. I could throw 95 to 100 fastballs. Um, and of that fast, those 100 fastballs, they were six different types, I guess is how to put it. Because 97 on the black away – is a very different pitch than 97 on the belt in. That's just, it doesn't matter if it's a fastball, it's a different pitch. You can't hit both. So if I know, you know, we talked uh, episodes ago about the blue spot, the cold spot for hitters. If I know a hitter's cold spot is down here, Andre Scalaraga was a perfect example. He had a hole in his swing on the outside corner of the plate that never changed. And I think I punched him out some 20 or 25 times somewhere in there on the same exact pitch, fastball down and away. I could throw it. I'll get a real quick at bat. He comes up. I'm throwing a shutout. I'm throwing a 10-hit shutout in Atlanta in the ninth inning with two outs. Bases get loaded. He comes up to pinch hit. I threw him three fastballs in the same spot down and away and struck him out to end the game and knew that the strikeout was going to happen before the at-bat started. Like, that stuff. That was command. And, and that's when I talk about command and control. Control is the ability to throw strikes. Everybody has that ability. Command is the ability to manipulate the ball in the strike zone, and that's the thing that young pitchers don't have anymore. Thank you. So the thing we're going to hold on to, uh, if I could start a team, what pitcher would I start that team with? I already said if I was going to start it with a, a a team, the position player I'd pick was Adley Rushman, uh, and I'll go into the pitcher as well. And I'm talking about I'm starting a team for the next decade. Who's the pitcher? There's a couple. There's probably seven or eight guys on the list. But there's three or four that would be in consideration and and I think no brainers. And you can make an argument for all of them. We'll get to that in a later episode though, uh next week. So well, that, that sounds fun. good. That was fun. Very fun. All right. <laughs> you guys have a wonderful week. We'll catch you guys on Friday. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. God bless. Outkick.com. Get the down tab for shows. Kurt Schilling Baseball Show there and on Spotify. <laughs>